Hello and welcome to the AdNog podcast, the podcast for the Adelaide.net user group. I'm your host, David Gardner. This is a recording from our May 2017 meeting. David Rogers speaks about architecture with a code-centric discussion on building a framework for an enterprise application using an Onion-style architecture. And now, over to the presentation. It's going? Hello. Okay. Um, so today I'm going to get into some architecture ideas um, for web applications uh, delivered by the browser uh, using ASP.NET. Um, there's my details. So I've uh, been .NET developer for eight years, so I still consider myself a learner, really. Um, so it's an architecture uh, presentation uh, with a focus on uh, the code, but not delivered by an architect. So <laughs> not actually an architect. But uh, last year, I had to um, do a project uh, at, at work, and I employed some techniques in, in the server framework there, which uh, I thought I might show you here today. When I sort of pitched this talk to Dave, I sort of noticed that we had, don't really talk too much about how we arrange code. Uh, we, we talk a lot about, you know, we go into details into certain technologies, etc., and we look at new things, but I hadn't seen too many presentations where we sort of show how we arrange code in frameworks and things like that. Um, it's one of those things where everybody has an opinion, so... Um, you know, there might be some things that you hear tonight that you do not agree with, and that that's fine. Um, there's also, you know, no one size fits all for an architecture. Um, certain architectures will solve many problems, but there will be some problems that call for something different. So that's just one thing to bear in mind. Uh, so I want to tackle um, some of the techniques and patterns which I used. Uh, and that I found helpful. Um, I'd also say that most of the ideas, um, well, pretty much all of the ideas that I'm going to present tonight are not my ideas. Um, I, I tend to um, steal the ideas of people smarter than me. So, uh, I, And I usually look to the community for that. Um, and... What I'm going to show you also is an attempt to comply with the solid principles. Uh, I find that um, the maintenance of an application tends to be a lot better um, when you comply with uh, the solid principles. Just a really quick word on... Um, I mentioned before that I tend to steal other people's ideas. Um, these are the two guys who give me my ideas. Um, many people would recognise Jimmy Bogard as the automapper guy. And uh, the other bloke is a guy called Stephen Van Gerson, uh, who wrote the uh, inversion and control uh, library that I'm using in the framework. It's called Simple Injector, and um, that guy's a genius. And these two guys I, I call out specifically because they tend to... They write a lot of blog posts, but they actually also really engage with the community and they answer comments on their blogs, etc. So I feel like I've, I've learnt uh, a lot from them. So... The first thing that I want to um, look at is um, model state validation. Um, so looking at the slide there, uh, I've just taken a screenshot from um, uh, something that um, Jimmy presented in, in one of his talks. And uh, you can see there in the action um, method of a controller, you probably would have recognised code that, like that um, if model state is valid, um, do this or do that. Um, so what we're actually doing there is we're, we're validating the integrity of the payload. We're, we're validating the integrity of the post. And that's something where we don't need to write that piece of code which is circled in blue in every action all across our application. That's a, a cross-cutting concern and that's something that um, we can, you know, we can give that to our framework to take care of for us. So um, I've got a custom action filter which I use for that. 
And I should also point out that um, with the most of the modern applications and the ones I've been working on anyway, um, all of my posts now are usually AJAX posts. So um, the action filter I'm about to show you on this, this next slide would uh, just need a bit of code uh, to check whether it's AJAX or not if you are actually sending some posts which are not AJAX. Uh, is that font big enough for you? Oh, okay. Um, that's not helping, is it? Unfortunately, there's nothing I can do to make that bigger. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll quickly talk what's going on here. We've got an action filter, um, uh, a custom one. And um, at, at the very bottom of the slide, um, you can see we're just adding that to the filters. So that, that runs with each, um, each request. And the first line of code is an if block checking whether model state's valid, which is effectively that bit that was circled in blue in the action. Uh, and then the else block's the important one. The, the if block, the other if block's just checking if it's a get request. And then the rest of it's um, saying if, it, if it's a post, then just um, uh, serialize that model state to JSON and um, send it down the pipe. So I'll, I'll just jump out to the demo to show you what I mean. Um, I've got here uh, a very simple form, which you cannot see. <laughs> Is there something I need to push, Dave, to uh, get Visual Studio showing? Is that PowerPoint? Yeah, it was PowerPoint. Just exit out of it. Okay, cool. That'll be a bit clunky, but no problem. Uh, so this is the demo application that I'm using for the um, uh, for, for the presentation. So I'll just check Brad point in that um, validator. And so what are we sixteen? If we do a post, uh, we come in here, and what we're going to see is the model state is valid is not valid, and so uh, what's that? See in the text. Cool. There we go. So it's not valid, and then that'll come down here into the uh, else block where um, we're basically I've got an extension method here which um, is serializing the model state to JSON and sending that down down the pipe. And so when we come back to our um, uh, the web page, uh, if we take a look at the um, the network tab. I'll just get rid of that Blake breakpoint now. So if I do that request, what I've done, by the way, is I've added a validation rule at the server, which I'll show you in a moment, um, which is, does not exist on the client because I had to show you. I had to have one which uh, is not on the client. Otherwise, the client would prevent the client validation would prevent it. And so if we look at what we get back, you can see that I've um, got this um, model state, which has um, got the errors and the error message there. I'll just zoom in so you can see that. Whoops. So... Um, and you just need to write some JavaScript at the client, uh, which will handle that on the um, return. Um, I'd, I'd also say that the, the focus on this presentation is more going to be on the 
server-side aspect that there is some client-side stuff going on, but that would be a, a completely separate talk in and of itself. So um, I've also got another um, uh, delta between the um, client and server validation uh, just to show you uh, that if I try and do another post... Um, This time I'll be validating, uh, sorry, uh, violating two rules. And so the point I wanted to make there is um, with the client-side validation, um, the, the major distinction uh, in my mind between the client-side validation and the server-side validation is um, I'm using NG messages for the client-side validation and it takes the approach that uh, it'll only show you one message at a time. So as soon as you, um, you enter text which uh, does not violate the rule, it moves on to the next thing you, that you violated and so um, until you finally sort of uh, got some text which meets the requirements of the validation on the, on the client. However, uh, with server-side validation, you might be violating more than one rule and you want to show all of those in one hit because you don't want the uh, user to have to send one post and that's violated, fix that bit, send another post, that's violated, fix that bit. So um, you, sort of, you need to build that into your framework and the uh, model state validation, um, uh, the next bit I want to get on onto which is relevant to that is... Uh, I'm using a library called Fluent Validation, if people are familiar with that. Um, I find Fluent Validation, I like it a lot better than the validation that comes out of the box from Microsoft. So if you look at the, um, the class that we have on the right-hand side, um, that's using the Microsoft validation with the, uh, the, the attributes required, min length, etc., and uh, there's two reasons I don't like that. Firstly, that can get really, really messy. Uh, if you've got a, a class with like 30 properties and each of them have got up to five sort of validation rules on it, five attributes, you can get a really messy looking class there. The second reason I don't like it is uh, it violates the single responsibility principle insofar as um, that class is just a data transfer object. Um, whereas when it's got that, those validation attributes on it, it's, it's, it's doing validation logic, basically. It's containing validation logic. Uh, whereas if you, look, if you look at the class on the left-hand side, that's just got the one property and it's all clean. It's got one attribute at the class level, but that attribute is just the glue that the framework needs to tell um, to, to use the validator that's referenced in the attribute. And that validator looks like this. So you write a completely separate class, a validator. You inherit from Fluent Validation's abstract validator. And in the constructor, you can see I've got the same rules as uh, are in the class on the right-hand side, but they're just using the Fluent um, syntax of uh, Fluent Validation. And um, the great thing about um, that fluent validation is it, it bolts onto model state. So uh, you don't have to use the uh, Microsoft validation to take advantage of that model state is valid stuff. You can use the fluent validator. And the place where you hook that in Um, this is uh, one of those classes in the app start method and so uh, I've got a hook here, one for the web API and one for normal MVC 
And so you call this configure method and that's effectively what enables it to sort of provide that glue um, which the framework can use uh, to use fluent validation um, to validate model state. So the next thing I want to reference is um, I just want to really quickly reference the and I know you guys can't read that but um, uh, the the framework I, I use and what I'm sure all you guys would use is pretty heavily reliant on um, dependency injection because that just enables you to do some really, uh, it saves you a lot of code basically. And so um, this class here uh, is um, in, uh, if you add the NuGet package uh, for the simple validation uh, dot m integration dot web, it'll produce a class like this. And then if you see all of these, all of these methods down there, um, they're basically where I do all of my registrations and they're all extension methods. And so that's just a sort of a clean way to um, keep that area tidy. Otherwise it'll end up as a, as a complete mess. And so to give you an example of what one of those would look like, um, this class here is the um, object role mapper registry, ORM registry. And you can see um, in this extension method I'm registering uh, the two things I need to get my um, DB context. And so each of the rest of these, um, these uh, are providing registrations for various things like the auto mapper parts, the mediator parts, which I'm going to get onto next, um, and the, the various web bits that I uh, add in. So what I want to talk about now is um, another library uh, which Jimmy Bogard wrote called Mediator. I'm not sure if anyone, any of you guys have used that one before. But um, Mediator is uh, basically an in-memory message bus. Uh, it's implemented using the Gang of Four Mediator pattern, but well, that's not here nor there really. Uh, but I'll first just draw your attention to this area up here. Um, there's a, uh, I've taken that from a blog post that Stephen Van Duresen wrote. And what you can see there is a, a command object and uh, called move customer command. And it looks like some pretty good object oriented programming. It's, you know, it's got some data bits here and it's got some behavior execute, which you'd probably inherit from um, a parent class. But if you read through his post, um, he discovered over time that he uh, had greater success when he actually separated out the data bits with the behavior bits. And so that design he felt could be improved. And that's something that, that's the approach that Mediator takes as well. And so uh, what Mediator does is it enables you to keep your controllers clean. So if we quickly go back to this slide, um, and if we take a look at this action method, all of this stuff here uh, below the, the circle and before the bit where we actually return the view result, this is all stuff that shouldn't be in an action method. It's like retrieving a context and mutating some data and doing all some business logic, etc. And that's got no real business being in the action method of a controller because controllers are you know, really just a traffic cop. They're just sort of um, directing traffic so um, what Mediator went a bit too far. What Mediator does is um, it cleans that up and uh, it takes the approach of separating an object and, and, and the, the data in the object and the handler which will execute the data upon that object. Um, it uses combination of commands and command handlers and queries and query handlers uh, which um, it, it doesn't actually distinguish between them though. You just do that with the way you name your classes. So uh, 
for example, I'll, I'll skip through this slide pretty quickly because the next slide um, goes into some better detail of how you hook things up. But uh, on the query side here, I guess the only thing I want to point out here is that um, here I've got a query and it inherits from iRequest and here we've got uh, a command and that implements from iRequest and likewise the accompanying handlers, this one is inheriting iRequest handler and this one's inheriting iRequest handler. So the queries and the commands are implemented the exact same. It's just the way you name the actual class which distinguishes them and of course how you use them. So wiring up mediator. Um, the first thing you need to do is create your query object and that just creates the stuff that you use to execute your query. And I'm just focusing on a query in this slide uh, for the sake of example. So in this example, it's called get license query and this is a license ID. So that's what you'd use to find your license. Uh, and then over here, we've got the get query, get license query handler. And so the naming convention is such that um, I'm using, it's the exact same name, I've just whacked the word handler on the end. Um, the return type, which is the license edit model, that goes over here. The, uh, it also goes down there because um, that is the return type of the handle method. So the handle method of the handler is actually what does the work. Um, the query goes on the uh, left-hand uh, side of the um, generic and you wire it up in your controller action uh, using this send method. So um, this underscore mediator is the mediator object which is an implementation of iMediator that you inject into your controller. And then you hit send on that and pass in your payload which is this guy up here and then that magically lands in your handler. I'll show you an example of that now. So, I've already got the breakpoint there. If I go to this page here, you can see here I'm actually in the get license query handler. So if we go to the call stack and see where we came from, uh, we've gone through a whole lot of decorators which I'm going to talk about in a moment, but before that uh, we are in the controller there, if that's readable. And so in this get action in the web API controller we've created our um, this is just what we want to receive back, the license view model. And then we've created our payload, which is um, this get licenses query. And we're calling send on the mediator object. And the mediator object, as I mentioned, is this item here, which we're injecting in. And it's a member of the parent um, class. And so uh, if we go through the handler, all it's doing is retrieving some licenses and returning that. And if I can put a breakpoint down here, we've got now got our populated licenses edit model, which is a uh, bunch of licenses. And so that populates the page. So um, as I said, uh, you can see here we've got a much cleaner action method. Um, the mediator has allowed us to take out all of that logic, um, which is basically, uh, I'm hitting the context directly there, but you'd probably be hitting a service or something like that, um, performing validation and all that sort of thing. And it's out of the controller. So, decorators. Uh, decorators are an um, integral part of this pattern and um, 
they're another gang of four pattern and it allows us to sort of implement an, an onion architecture uh, it's not the exact same as that diagram which I've put there but that that's um, just because I couldn't be bothered drawing my own onion but um, the idea of the onion is you get these layers which um, you bore into basically um, and you peel away the onion and um, the the decorators basically form each layer of the onion so that's probably going to be a little bit hard to read but um, this is an example of a decorator and if you look up here what you'll see is it's implementing iRequest Handler which is what our um, mediator uh, handlers implement and then you can also see this member here called Decorated Handler is um, an, uh, a, a field which also implements um, that same iRequestHandler. So when you come into the handle method here, um, you receive your payload, you do whatever you want to it. This particular handler is a, a validation handler and then um, it'll go and uh, do all of its validation and once it's done it calls the inner handler and it calls the handle method on that and so that's how it actually goes through and down and in and I'll show you an example of that in action So, oh, apologies. Okay, I'll just F5 through this again. So, I'm on a page here. Um, I'll just pick another one. Right now, I'm in the actual um, get license query handler itself. Um, actually, I'll F5 that away. I'm going to put a breakpoint in here, and I'll also put a breakpoint here. And so, what you're going to see is uh, first, it's going to hit this deadlock retry command handler decorator, and then after that, it's going to hit this transaction command um, decorator. So we're now in the deadlock retry. That uh, does its stuff. And then we're now in the uh, transaction command handler. And so we can F11 into that. And we're now in the validation decorator. So um, I should point out at this point, this is another area in my pipeline where I use validation and I use fluent validation. And so the idea being um, you inject your iValidators into this decorator and uh, it runs before the actual query, uh, the command handler itself will run. And so you're able to perform some um, business validation before you actually execute your logic. And so in this case, we've got no validation failures. And if we F11 into that, we're now into the actual command license, um, hand, update command, li update license command handler itself. So if you um, go all the way back to the controller, this is the post method that we've actually uh, posted to and mediator sending that message but you and, and I'll show you this uh, after um, we talk about this in, in the dependency injection you configure your decorators in such a way that they wrap these things so it kind of works like interception but it's like an alternative to interception and uh, all of these 
decorators that you can see here in the stack trace in the coal stack um, they're running before it gets to the actual handler itself and then we finally get to the handler and then as you we hit commit on the transaction return the response now we're in the retry handler etc and so it makes its way all the way back up out, out of the layers uh, right now I'm in what I've called the dodgy profiler decorator which is a quick and dirty uh, I just wanted to wrap this thing in as many possible layers as I could to show you how decorators work um, so which one is it So I just want to really quickly show you um, the registration of, of uh, that stuff with the dependency injection framework. Um, in here, this is one of those extension methods that I mentioned, um, which uh, gets called in your composition root. And um, these three lines here are basically um, that they, they, they configure mediator itself. In fact, the first two, um, the first two lines there. The, normally, when you use dependence injection, you're, you're injecting stuff into your classes and your controllers or your services, etc. But sometimes you need to inject stuff into external libraries, and that's what you're doing here. Um, you're injecting stuff into mediator, and uh, the the best way to find out how to do that is to download the source code from GitHub because there's a samples project and he's really good with that in that he's usually got a sample for each different uh, dependency injection library. So there's one for um, Ninject, there's one for Structure Map, there's one for Simple Injector. So it's really quite easy to figure out what to do. And then this line here, no, sorry, this line is... Um, registering the mediator itself, what you inject into your controller. This line is uh, basically uh, registering any handler, anything that implements I request handler. Uh, but these lines here are the important ones. And these are rec registering all of those decorators and the automatas here. So um, the... Uh, the, the furthest one away, the bottom one here, is the outermost of the onion, and then it moves up into the profile decorator, the retry decorator, the transaction decorator, and then the validation decorator. So uh, that's how you um, use the you can dependency injection container to um, get all of that happening. Just pop back to the presentation. Okay, AutoMapper. Do many people use AutoMapper? Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I'll, I'll try and give a quick explanation to people who aren't familiar with it. But um, basically, uh, AutoMapper is uh, a library which will map your domain objects to your data transfer objects, your DTOs. And so... Uh, it was kind of born out of the boredom that um, the guy who wrote it uh, experienced when he was just writing heaps of code of this property equals that property, this property equals that property, this property equals that property, etc. And so he wrote AutoMapper to just basically do all of that in one line. And so uh, there's a combination of convention and upfront configuration which you need to do with AutoMapper but it's um, massively useful. Uh, I've had um, scenarios where you have data transfer objects for up to 30 properties and um, it would be very tedious just writing all of that uh, when you can do it in just one line of code. Uh, you can also um, be a little cunning in the way that you configure AutoMapper and I'm, I'm going to show you how you can go about um, 
writing some maintainable code which minimised the maintenance burden uh, on on using AutoMapper. So, as you can see, um, the reason for being which I mentioned is um, you've got on the left-hand side this um, class where uh, this is a licensed DTO and on. Uh, what we're doing is we're just assigning properties. So the ID equals the ID, uh, the key equals the key, and this is um, uh, a software uh, DTO. So I've got to create a new software DTO, and then in that I've got to assign all of their properties. And in addition to that, um, the DTO does not exactly align with the properties of the domain object because this is a name and description field. Uh, whereas in the domain object we have a name field and a description field and we're concatenating them with a colon in between. So uh, it's also handy for um, handling those. You can configure it to, um, to, to shape the data uh, the way it should be when it needs to be centric to the view. So um, I guess... Uh, this is looking a lot cleaner. You've got one line of code which does all of that. And uh, the other thing I meant to say, which I guess is um, self-explanatory, is it sort of does it recursively. So it goes through all of the properties. And so long as you've got like um, a DTO which matches in structure the source um, object, then it, it maps it all recursively. So the best way to... Um, Show auto, uh, explain auto mapper, I guess, is to show it in action. So I'll put a breakpoint here and choose a new one. Okay. So we've now found ourselves in the licensed data service. We've grabbed our context. We've gone and we've searched our licenses using the key that we've passed in. And uh, now what we want to do is we want to return a licensed DTO because we don't want to use a domain object in our view. And so we're using AutoMapper here. We're just telling it, take the source object, give me a licensed DTO, and here's the source object for you to work with. And so if I just F10 that, and if I now hover over this, uh, what you can see, if you can see it, is we've got a populated object. So we've got the license key, we've got the software ID here, we've got this software object, it's got its ID, it's got its name and description with Windows 7 colon and then the name. Um, interestingly, we've got this null value here, but that's on purpose, and I'll show you. I just um, configured it to ignore that property on purpose, just to demonstrate ignoring. Um, and so that's AutoMapper in action. And then if I just F5, um, it, we've got our data here. So what I want to go on and show you, and I guess this is the... Um, interesting part and this is where it gets uh, a bit more architecty what you can do um, when you're using automapper um, if you look at tutorials on the internet etc uh, you'll see that you need to do upfront configuration and so you'll get your profile and you'll um, write some code like, I'm not sure if you can see that, yep. Uh, profile, create map and it's this time it's a model.book cover and the book cover DTO. And so um, you might put that in an initializer class and then you might sort of collect all of your initializers in like a master initializer class. And then what will happen is you'll create another DTO, you want to do another mapping, so you'll add another one. And you can see, I'm not sure if you saw that, but another one got added down here. And then you might add another two DTOs, and so you've got to go in and add another two. And then you might another, add another two, and then you need to keep adding these manually. And um, 
that can add up, especially when you've got sort of upwards of 50 data transfer objects. So what we can do is we can use marker interfaces um, to let AutoMapper, uh, or rather let Reflection take care of that for us. And so um, what I've got in, in my framework is uh, this IMAP from generic. It's gone off the screen there a little bit, but it's a generic class. And you can go and grab them all. And then uh, this get generic arguments um, actually gets the, the, the class itself, which would be the source. So the idea of the way you would use that IMAP from, you'd have your DTO and it would inherit from IMAP from whatever the source object is. And then by virtue of this get generic arguments, you've got your source object, you've got your, your destination object, and then you can just call create map um, iterating through all of them. And so this particular scenario, this particular load standard mappings method, which will exist in your custom profile, um, that works for all of those um, DTOs that you've used where uh, you haven't needed to do any custom configurations. So, for example, if the property names in your source object are the exact same as the property names in your DTO, then AutoMapper doesn't need to know any more than that. You don't need to tell it anymore. You don't need to tell it to map that field to that field. It just knows because they're the same name, it'll map it. And so by virtue of that, you can just, uh, as I said, use this reflection and then uh, iterate through and then call that create map method, which is, effect, which is the exact same as what this would be over here, create map. And that's what you would be manually adding every time you add it. Add a new DTA, um, only because it's painful going between the code and uh, PowerPoint. I'll just move on to the next thing in PowerPoint before going to the code. Uh, you have your second scenario where in your 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 DTO is a little bit different from your source object, and so you have to configure AutoMapper to actually do something when it maps it. Uh, the classic example is that one I used where it had a name and description field in the, in the destination object, and that was concatenating the name field, the description field, with a colon in between. And so you can do a similar kind of thing. Um, you can, uh, I've got an interface here which is called I have custom mapping. And so I have custom mapping is a generic and uh, anything that inherits I have custom mapping, um, it will implement this I configure this mapping method. And then you can use the activator create instance to actually create an instance of that mapping class. And then once again, in a for each loop, you just call that map.createMappings passing in the profile. Uh, the createMappings method is the only method which is on this uh, I configure this mapping interface. So I'll jump into the code and show you what that looks like. So if we look at a license DTO. You can see I've got my DTO and it's implementing IMAP from license, uh, license being the source object. And if we go into that, you can see the names of these properties uh, are the same as the names of the properties on my data transfer object, same names. And so by virtue of that, AutoMapper doesn't need to know anymore. And so you are able to um, use that generic which pulls out that and then it'll call create map on those two types. Uh, if we now go look at the uh, software DTO. The software DTO is one which has a custom mapping. So again if we look at this custom mapping um, as I mentioned, it's a marker interface, so it doesn't have anything to implement. We're, we're merely using it as something which 
we can use reflection to grab a hold onto. And so uh, anything, um, when we implement that, that has this generic constraint that the T must implement, I configure this mapping. And so uh, this particular software DTO mapping class that you can see here, that is the T. And so if we go and look at that, that implements I configure this mapping. I configure this mapping has that one method, uh, create mappings, and uh, you pass in your profile, and then that calls create map on your source type to the DTO. And as you can see, on that particular one, I'm calling auto mappers ignore method, and so when we looked at it before, uh, when I ran the example, the software type was null. That's why it was null. I've deliberately ignored it. Uh, and in this second one, I have this name and description property, and I've just done a simple uh, concatenation of the name and the description from the source object. Uh, you can do some really, really sophisticated stuff with these um, mappings. That's um, a very, very simple example, but you can sort of create custom value resolvers, etc., that do some really interesting stuff uh, where you need to um, do some, some serious shaping between your domain and your DTOs. So I'll give you a quick look at where that lives in the architecture. So there's this file called uh, Adnug Arch Profile, which inherits from uh, Automapper's profile. Uh, and the magic happens in this is initial, sorry, initialized mappings. And so in the initialized mappings, we've got those two methods which are on the slide. This uh, first one, the load standard mappings, it goes and grabs all of the IMAP ROMs and then calls create map on them. And then the second one, it uh, finds all of the I have custom mappings, it goes and gets the generic argument, creates an instance of it, and then calls create mappings on that. And so what that saves you doing is having to manually add lines of code which call this um, profile.createMap, which makes for a more maintainable architecture because when you get junior programmers on the project, you just say, all you need to do is create the DTO, and if there's a custom mapping, create the um, mapping file, and then you're done. You don't have to worry about adding more code to call create map on it. Your framework's doing that for you. Okay, um, a few general bits and pieces. Um, how are we going for time, Dave? I'm sure. Um, so ASP gives us access to a user property which implements iPrincipal, but um, iPrincipal doesn't really give you very much at all. So. Uh, what I tend to do in my architecture is I'll, I'll create uh, an object which will be I adnug user or something of that nature, and then that will basically implement a whole lot more useful stuff, um, possibly the username, email address, all of those kind of things, and then you can inject that wherever you want. Uh, I often use it as part of the payload for my um, commands and queries. And so when I'm using Mediator, often a member of my query or my command which gets put on that message bus will have that uh, I addnug user object. Um, I'll quickly go through uh, this idea of a logging adapter and um, basically, uh, with logging, uh, I'm currently maintaining a project which uses some kind of logging facade, and it's pretty awful. Um, you've got to keep updating 
um, the dependencies when you update various NuGet files. Um, but you don't actually need uh, to have a facade with proxies, etc., when you're using a logging adapter. Um, all you need to do is create an interface and give that the least contract to implement, and then you can extend that interface with extension methods. And then you configure your dependency injection uh, container to inject a relevant logger. So what you end up with is a logging abstraction. So you're not tied to nlog or log4net or whichever one. Um, uh, I, I like both of those libraries. Um, but the idea is to give you an, an, an abstraction which um, is not tied to any of them. And so you then use an, uh, uh, an adapter to uh, basically get to the actual concrete logging library. So if we look at So this is what I mean by having um, a simple abstraction and um, just give it the minimal number, uh, minimal uh, amount that you need to implement. What's, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm not sure who passed or failed there. I think I failed. Okay, so we've got this iLogger interface, and it's just got this one method log, so pretty easy to implement. And then um, we've got this log4net adapter, because uh, I happen to be using log4net, and uh, it's implementing iLogger, and then we're able to instantiate uh, a logger for, for the particular class that you're injecting it into, and then um, when you're implementing your log method, that's where you do the pass through to um, your log for net or uh, forgotten the other one. Um, N log, that's it, thank you. <laughs> N log. And um, I'm just trying to remember where my. Uh, Here we go. And so what you can do then is write these logging extensions. And so these are just, that's just static class, which uh, is a bunch of extension methods. And so you've got your log exception, log warning, log error, etc., log info. And so you're getting this really rich logging API program against um, and you're maintaining uh, effectively the same thing as a facade but using an adapter to do it so you don't have to have all of that overhead and rubbish that comes with using proxies etc that you get with a logging facade. Um, okay, just a few miscellaneous bits and pieces. Um, actually, I'll only just go into two of these because uh, it's sort of, I think, pretty much run out of time. But um, uh, there's a pretty cool notification system which I pulled out of one of the Pluralsight courses. Uh, I've re referenced that course in the um, final slide of, of this presentation. Um, but what it enables you to do, you would have seen when I was um, hitting the web page and there were errors, there was sort of, uh, what are they called, growl-like messages showing up and then appearing on the right hand, left hand, right hand side of the page. Um, and uh, there's once for success info and all of that sort of thing. And as you can see, they were client side. And so that's reacting to stuff on the client. Um, but you can also 
invoke that from the server. Uh, and so I'll show you an example of that. If we go to our home controller, and I'll just... I failed again. I was just getting it ready for you guys. So here we are in our home controller. And um, this is another example of the decorator pattern. Um, and what you can do, um, these are all extension methods. And what they're doing is They're executing action results and they're doing it in a decorated way. I'll just <laughs> wait till this page loads. So you can see I've got my uh, three messages that have um, been invoked and they've been invoked from the server, not from the client. Um, and so there's, there's actually a number of things that you need to do to sort of wire all of that up, but I'll, I'll go through the broad brushstrokes. So if I hit this again and F11 in, whoop. No, that's not good. <laughs> okay, here we are. Magic. Okay, so uh, I'm in a class with some extension methods, as you can see, and there's this alert decorator result. And so if we go into that, um, we've got uh, a, a, a an action result which has an inner result. So it's just, as I said, another um, implementation of the decorator pattern. And so if we F10 here, So uh, we're now in the execute result of the um, decorated uh, action result. And then if we F10 down here, we're now... It's not letting me go in there. Oh, actually it is. So I'm back in there, except this is a different handler because there were three of them. And so if I then... You can see here I'm hitting execute result of the inner result. And so I'll F10 that. And now I'm in the inner result again. And then if I F2 through, F10 through all of that, it makes its way out of the onion. And then uh, we're through to the other side with our messages. The, um, the other key part of the glue for all of that is uh, in the layout page um, in addition to the actual containers that you, you set up um, to, to hold that stuff um, I've got a partial method here in line 47 called uh, alerts and so this is hitting a, uh, an alerts partial and so what that does is you might have noticed in the decorated action result that was stashing stuff in temp data and then we do a for each loop through all of the temp data, temp data. it gets all of the alerts and then uh, we're calling this is the client code so that's the JavaScript at the client that gets invoked which launches that panel uh, three times over so uh, that's the decorator. And there was uh, one other thing that um, I'll conclude the talk with. Uh, very, very small tidbit, but very cool nonetheless. Um, there's a uh, project by a guy called David Ebo called uh, Web Activator. And I first noticed this when I was looking at the classes that Simple Injector um, uh, inje um, adds when you add the NuGet package. And the idea of Web Activator is 
um, it's a way of keeping this application start uh, method neater. Um, there, there are some things that you need to actually call in this application start, but um, what Web Activator allows you to do is create these classes. Uh, for example, I've got this log for net initializer, and so it's um, got this post application start method. And so what that means is this static initialized method, which gets hooked up by this string up here, um, that runs immediately after the application start um, method in global ASACs. And so uh, you can um, basically create these initializers, which enables you to put things like your logging configure code tucked away in this class rather than messing up your application start with a whole bunch of stuff. Because I've seen some application start methods that just grow and grow and grow massively. So that's a pretty cool little uh, library. So I hope that's been a reasonably coherent presentation of my ideas. <laughs> Thank you.